just make it up as we go. It's fine. So today has been like a total technology failure. <laughs> but I appreciate the fact that you guys go with it. For when the... Uh, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure if you noticed or not, but with that last song, um, the CCLI version, which we have in the computer, had the words in a different order than our songbook. Same lyrics across the board, same verses, in a different order. So I had to wait till you started singing before I moved to the next one. Just crazy. Anyway, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the book of Daniel. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 4. Uh, we're going to be continuing in our sermon series here called Stand. Uh, and really what I want to do just very briefly is go uh, a little bit over what we looked at last week. Last week we looked out. Uh, standing out for God, uh, standing out for God. This week we're going to be looking at standing up for what's right. Next week we're going to look at standing for what matters. The week after that, standing against. And then we're going to look at standing with. Uh, And so last week what we looked at is uh, the story of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. He came in to Jerusalem. He sacked the city completely, uh, took it over, uh, ransacked the temple, uh, took all of the, um, uh, the treasures of the temple, uh, took those out, took those into captivity as well, really broke the spirits of the people of Israel completely. Uh, and then he took uh, a bunch of their best-looking people into uh, uh, captivity in Babylon and started indoctrinating them the way that they think, the way that they act, the things that they ate even. Uh, And Daniel and a bunch of his friends got together and they said, no, we're not going to do that. Instead, what we're going to do is we're going to follow the dietary regulations of the Old Testament and after a period of 10 days, judge who's who's fit and who's not. Uh, And after 10 days, they came back and they were still good-looking people. Uh, And so they stood up or uh, they stood out from the rest of the people. And so today, uh, we're going to sort of continue off that story. Uh, It was read for us a little bit earlier, but it is chapter 4, starting in verse 4. And this is what we're going to look at, um, is this story in Daniel. It's a little bit of an odd story to be preaching exegetically through, uh, but we'll figure it out as we go. Um, In a brief reading of this story, uh, what pops out to me is that there are two types of people. Have you ever, ever heard that expression... Uh, there's two types of people. You can, you can apply it to almost any situation. And in every, any situation, there is always two types of people. Uh, today, what we're talking about in two types of people is simply this. We're going to look at confrontational people versus non-confrontational people. Now, I don't know what you are. Are you non-confront? If you're non-confrontational, show of hands. Non-confrontational. Uh, okay, okay. 50-50, if you are confrontational in your argumentative style, raise your hand. Bill, raise your hand. I've argued with you, raise your hand. Um, what's interesting is uh, neither is right and neither is wrong, so it's not like a shame game that we're playing here. It is just very interesting that there are two types of people, some are confrontational and some 
uh, non-confrontational. So some are willing to confront others. When something goes wrong, they're willing like to step up straight up into their face and be like, no, this isn't going to happen. You've met these people. Some of you married these types of people. Um, yeah, stop raising your husband's hand. That's... I thought you said you were non-confrontational. Passive. Yeah. Okay, I'm with it now. Um, we, we, we deal with a lot of, of uh, confrontational people here at the core level. Uh, a lot of people, when they don't get their way, they get right up in your face and they start yelling at you. They're very, very confrontational. Um, and, then, and then there are some who are uh, really here. Some are unwilling to confront others. They sort of live life with this attitude, you know, it's none of my business, live and let live. Who am I to judge? Let's just... But... He, uh, these people are usually over here and they say this, but then they go over here and they're like, do you know what so-and-so did to me? And they, they, they pull the guilt in on themselves and it's, it's a terrible thing to do. And so here's, here's really where it comes down to is that some people confront unlovingly and people don't confront and both are wrong. Uh, I want you to, to understand that. Some people confront unlovingly and that's the wrong way of doing it. Some people do not confront, and that's the wrong way of doing it. And what we're going to read here is a, a very interesting story. Um, we've talked about Nebuchadnezzar, uh, we talked about him at length last week. I'm not sure I did a, a good enough job describing the type of power that this man held. Nebuchadnezzar, at this point, ruled the world. He had a world empire, the entire known world, had been conquered by the Babylonians. Now, there were some small kingdoms springing up, and whenever they sprung up, he conquered them. Whenever someone got too big for their britches, he moved in and annihilated them. He decimated the city of Jerusalem. He leveled the temple. Uh, the people of Israel were very, very confident in their temple. That was the uh, residence, the residing place of their God. They believed that God came down physically and lived in that temple. And Nebuchadnezzar, to prove his might and his power, that he had more power than the God of Israel, came in and leveled that temple. This was a dude that had a lot of power, right? There is literally no one living on earth at this point that we could really uh, even sort of mirror this guy to, he might be like uh, the, the empire of North Korea if North Korea also controlled the entire world. Like not just North Korea, but they actually controlled the entire world. That's this guy's mindset, right? I need you to know that because if you're reading here in Scripture, Daniel chapter 4, verse 4, it says this, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. Don't we all wish that? that we were at ease in our house and prospering in our palaces. That's, that's what I wish was happening. I saw a dream and it made me afraid. I want you to catch that. The most powerful person in the history of the world at this point, the man who ruled an empire that stretched the entire known world, was in his palace, feet up by the fire, cup of coffee in his hand, he fell asleep, and he had a dream that made him terrified. What type of dream terrifies a man who is so powerful? Well, I'm glad you asked. He was at ease in his palace and he saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions in my head alarmed me. Sorry, I just find this very amusing the way he talks. The fancies in my head. 
So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might be, uh, make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. <coughs> so there's a couple of things that you need to know about Babylon right here uh, in, in its historical context. It was very, very heavily steeped in mysticism. They believed in magic. They could conjure things. We don't know where they got the power. We assume that they got their power through uh, Satan and through demons, through spiritual acts of darkness. Uh, but they could do things. This wasn't just like, this isn't David Copperfield in Las Vegas like making a Thai dance with, with hidden strings, right? That's not the type of magicians that we're talking about. We're talking about legit dark magic users. We're talking about people who uh, engaged in rituals to summon spirits, who engaged in rituals to commune with uh, demons and, uh, and the devil. Uh, we're talking about really, really bad guys. Um, those were the magicians. The enchanters, much the same way. The Chaldeans, we don't know anything about who the Chaldeans, the mystery uh, religions of Chaldea, uh, are lost to time. But they were uh, a cult that uh, ruled with fear the religious realm. And so where you had King Nebuchadnezzar who ruled through power, through influence, through his, uh, uh, his economic influence and his military might, the Chaldeans were uh, sort of sub-underneath him, and they terrorized people through religion, all right? That, this is what they did. They said, these are our gods, this is how we worship, and if you don't believe me, I can actually invoke evil spirits to do our will to make you, make you come on board, right? These were bad people. Uh, the Chaldeans, and then the astrologers. And astrologers pretty much has the same definition of what we look at today. People who read fortune by, by looking up at the stars and saying, well, if that star's in that location, and that star's in that location, then X is going to happen. Uh, these people all drew power from demonic, uh, uh, demonic circumstances. They were all uh, fueled in their power by demons and dark, spiritual darkness. So do you have it in your mind that these were bad guys? All right? Bad, bad people. Now, I'm not saying Nebuchadnezzar was a prince. I mean, he was evil too. But he has this dream, and he, at this point, hasn't described the dream to anyone. And he said to these guys, come in. You're the most powerful religious people on the face of the planet at this point. I want you to come in and tell me what my dream was and then give me the interpretation. And verse 7, it says, Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. Uh, in this time, in this place, if you disappointed the king, what do you think happened to you? <laughs> Kevin is correct. Give that man a cookie or a gold star, whichever he prefers. Yeah, you lost your head. They killed you. Like... If you disappointed the king, you did something up against the king, like, that's it, game over, do not pass go, do not collect $200, you're done. And so the entire religious establishment of Babylon comes in and they could not make known the interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me, who was named Belteshah, after the name of my God. So his Hebrew name we discussed last week was Daniel. He was real name to Bel uh, renamed to Belteshah, which was the name of one of the uh, Babylonian gods, and it was done so to uh, to deride his uh, 
his God and to say his God is little and I'm renaming you for my God because my God allowed me to conquer you. And so Daniel is brought in to the king. Daniel is brought in here before the king. I'm leaving that thing. My, my technology on my end has failed, so I'm just, we're just going to wing it from here on out, okay? O Belteshah, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions. Uh, I, I want you to, to sort of pick up on what he's saying here. He says, uh, no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. So what he's saying about Daniel is, Daniel, you have proved yourself to be a smart guy. You've proved yourself to be a man in touch with spiritual things. Now, for Nebuchadnezzar, he doesn't know that Daniel is drawing power from the spirit of the living God and the spirit of the one God. He doesn't know that, but he says that Daniel is displaying characteristics that makes him chief over everyone else. He is smarter, he is better than everyone else that has been drawn in before him. In fact, he says that <clears throat> if, if you look at this, that all the Chaldeans have come in, the astrologers have come in, no one can tell him his dream, no one can tell him the interpretation, no one even wants to suggest something. Uh, instead, everyone sort of just steps back and they say, no, we can't really do this. And so when we're looking at the two different types of people, people who are non-confrontational and people who are confrontational, what you need to understand from this particular story is that these astrologers, these magicians, they're being non-confrontational because they don't want things to go badly for them. Does that make sense? Uh, they're, they're, it's not a matter of they're afraid. Oh, well, no, I should say. It is a matter that they are afraid of the king. And so they don't want uh, the fallout. They don't want the argument. They don't want to be beheaded. They want to keep living their lives even though they are failing their king. And so they're non-confrontational about it. And then you get Daniel here who is... Uh, brought in before the king, and the king says to him that he's the chief of magicians. He knows that the spirit of the holy gods is in him. No mystery is too difficult for him. Tell me my dream and the interpretation. Uh, it doesn't say that Nebuchadnezzar tells Daniel the dream. It says, I had a dream. You tell me what it is and the interpretation. Like, don't get me wrong. If someone comes to me and say, look, I had this dream, and they tell me X, Y, Z, I can probably like do some, some quick thinking in the back of my head and give them an interpretation, Right? I'm not saying it's, it's driven by the power of God. I'm just saying I could make something up on the fly, right? If, if someone comes to you and say, gives you a story and then says, hey, what's your opinion about it, whether or not you have an opinion about it, doesn't really matter. Most of us could make something up on the fly. Nebuchadnezzar knows this about the human nature, so he doesn't give any of these people his dream. He says, I had a dream, and so if you were as powerful as you think you are to his magicians, you can tell me what the dream is and the interpretation. And then we get to what Daniel says. Here in verse 10. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong and its top reached the heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. It leaves, sorry, its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed, uh, fed from it. If you take a moment and you just sort of like think of that uh, out of context, that's actually quite a beautiful vision, isn't it? Like, I, I want you to imagine that there is a tree that stretches from the earth uh, clear to the heavens, and you can't see the top of it. Its branches 
uh, uh, spread out. Remember that they are living in a desert, and so shade and, and water is something that you uh, crave. Green things is something that you crave. Uh, and so this tree spreads up and is green and is lush and it is bearing fruit and it reaches to the very ends of the earth. Clearly it is showing Nebuchadnezzar's empire, that his empire reaches to the very corners of the earth. Everything that is known about uh, uh, the world at this point, Nebuchadnezzar has conquered. He's gone everywhere. He's done that. He's bought the t-shirt. He bought 20 of them and he reigns over the entire earth. And it says that all the beasts of the field come and they, they gather underneath it and that the, the fruits on the, the trees feed all of the people. He's seeing a kingdom, uh, his own kingdom, without want, without need, that no one is needy. No one uh, has anything that they need or de- uh, everything that they desire they can get. This is a good dream, right? All right, fine. None of you agree with me. I don't Whatever. I've got the microphone. I can go as long as I want. No one agrees with me? Good dream. There we go. Does that sound like a dream that would make uh, you think that things, bad things are about to happen? But wait, there's more. I saw in the vision of my head as I lay in bed and behold a watcher, a holy one came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, chop down the tree and lop off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. (coughs) Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision of the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the most high God rules the kingdom of men and gives to it whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. Many times when we get visions from God, there is a great portion of it and we really wish God would just stop. Everything is going to go right for you. Everything is going to be good. You're going to be strong. You're going to be powerful. You're going to have this kingdom over the world. Everyone is going to be blessed through you. Just stop there. Like, let's, let's just cut the vision here. Let's, let's cut it. Let's wake up. Let's cut the vision short. But for Nebuchadnezzar, the vision didn't stop there. It continues on and it says that a watcher from heaven, this is an angel, then an angel is going to come down from heaven and is going to cut the branches off the trees. So you've got a giant tree that stretches to the very ends of the earth. Every branch is going to be stripped from it. The leaves are going to be stripped from the branches. The beasts are going to flee before it in terror. And the the tree is going to be chopped down. And all that is going to be left is a stump in the ground. We'll get a little bit here to the interpretation of this dream. In fact, because my notes are all screwed up, I'm just going to skip there straight now. This is what's going to happen to Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to reach the absolute heights of human achievement that he could think is humanly possible, and then it's all going to be taken away from him because he doesn't recognize the one true God. He's going to achieve everything that the world defines as success. And then because he doesn't recognize the one true God, it's all going to be taken away from him. See, here's the secret of Scripture. Um, God blesses people and they achieve much, but it's because of the power of God. God gives trials to people and they achieve little, but it's through the power and the strength of God. 
the reality of Scripture is it doesn't really matter who the story is about. Every story is about the power of God. See, there's really two ways of reading Scripture, because there's two ways of looking at everything. There's two ways of reading Scripture. You can read the Bible uh, as a human-centered story. Uh, This is the story of mankind. You know, it starts God creating a world for us, creating a garden. God created Adam and Eve and putting them in the center of it. Therefore, the story must be about them. And then every story going forward is about mankind and what we do and how we interact with things, how we interact with the world, how we interact with God, how we do all these things. So you can read the Bible with mankind at the center of it, but that's not the way the story is supposed to go. See, the story of the Bible is really quite simple. It's God's story. How God does things. How God created the world. How God created Adam and Eve. How God wanted to dwell with them. And when they messed up, how God created a way for them to come back into his presence. The story of the Bible is God-centered or theocentric, not human or self-centered. And the problem is, is that if you read it through a human-centered point of view, you read the story. Uh, I've used this as an example before. I'll use it again. If you read the story of David and Goliath, so many times, if you hear this story in our Sunday school classes, uh, it's told like, you are David, Goliath is the problems in your life, and if you trust in God, then you can go in and destroy the giants. Like, have you ever heard that sermon before or that Sunday school class before? That's the way that story is taught. And I'm, I'm... Fond of saying that there's only four, story, uh, four characters in the story of David and Goliath. There's David, there's Goliath, there's God, and then there's the Israelites. Those are the four characters. You're not God in that story. God is God. You're not Goliath in that story. That story is about Satan's sin and death. David, Scripture literally says that Jesus is the greater David. So when you read that story, it's about Jesus conquering Satan, sin, and death, which leaves us one more character. You and I are not David in that story. You and I are the cowardly Israelites over in the corner waiting for Jesus to save us from Satan, sin, and death. And so there are two ways of reading Scripture. You can read it like it's about yourself, or you can read it like it is God's story. And that's the way to read it. You and I have a part in God's story. But it's not about us. It's about God. And so we need to start looking at it like that. And so, so Nebuchadnezzar here is in the height of his power. Um, how many of you heard about the, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon? Have you, have you heard that? It's one of the seven wonders of the ancient worlds. Uh, literally in a desert. King Nebuchadnezzar displayed his might and power, and because he loved his wife, built for her uh, a set of gardens that was multiple tiers, and he figured out for the first time in human history an irrigation system that actually pumped water from a river up a hill. And now, now for you and me, you're like, well, I live on top of a hill. What? I have running taps. This is like... 3,000 years ago using stone, all right? This is what they were doing back then. And he literally pumped water up the side of the hill and worked out an irrigation uh, system that he created a pyramid of water cascading down and had plants and green stuff in there that he brought back from the far distant reaches of everywhere that he conquered as a symbol of his power and authority. He said, I can control the desert. I can control all of life. That was his hubris. That was his attitude. And it was because of that attitude that the living God sent him a dream that said, I am going to cut you down for the sake of my name. And he said, then, even then, after I cut down your empire, I'm going to send you bat crap crazy. There's no other word to describe what is happening to Nebuchadnezzar here. 
He is crazy. It says here that he's going to roam like the beasts of the field. He's going to get down on all fours and he's going to roam around like a beast. It says that his nails are going to be the size of the talons of birds. They're going to be so long. He's going to have fingernails because he doesn't clip them, because he doesn't know that he should, because he's no longer got the brain of a human person. It says that his hair is going to get the length of the feathers of eagles is the way that my scriptures refer to it. It says that he's going to become unkempt. He's going to eat the grass of the ground, that he's going to roam like a beast. He goes crazy. From the height of ruling the known world and saying to the desert, give forth green things, to being like a beast of the earth, because he didn't recognize the power of God. I have no idea where I'm supposed to be. Here's where I want to finish up with this. How much guts did it take Daniel to tell the king that dream and that interpretation? The Chaldeans, the magicians... These guys all said, we don't want a part of this. We don't want to tell the king that he's going to go from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. We're not going to be confrontational about this. We're going to step back and we're just going to let it take its course and say, no, I don't don't want to be a part of that. Daniel steps forward and he gives the king the dream and gives the king the interpretation. The amount of courage that that took on Daniel's part can only be described as superhuman. It wasn't his courage. Again, it came from the living God. It came from the God that Daniel served, which was the God of Israel, the same God that you and I serve. A lot of people, when we talk about evangelism, they'll say things like, I'm afraid to talk to people about my faith. I wouldn't know what to say. I don't know how to address that. I don't know how to talk to people. For a lot of us, that, that's actually a very real thing. Uh, talking to people, I, I know it's weird, talking to people is not my strong suit. I don't like it. In a one-on-one situation, I'm terrible. Give me five or six or more, 10, 15, 20, 25 people. I'm great in front of a crowd because there's no one person that I'm talking to and I can just talk, right? And I can tell bad jokes and if no one laughs, then I just keep going because my jokes are that sophisticated. I'm terrible at evangelism. Absolutely terrible. Any evangelism that I do doesn't come from me. It comes from the Holy Spirit. Now, that's not an excuse because I believe that even in my fear of individually talking to people, I believe that the Holy Spirit comes in, into that and uses that, right? So it, it's not a, uh, an excuse to skip out on evangelism. I don't think any of us have that excuse. But the reality is that anything that we do in this setting, anything that we do in our lives, need to come through the power of the Holy Spirit. And too much of our lives is us trying to figure out how to do it ourselves. Do you know how much time, effort, and energy we waste trying to figure out how to do it ourselves when the reality of Scripture is simply we need to trust and rely on God? And and I can get up and I can rant about the Bible for 40 to 50 minutes straight Ask Bill, he's been there for one of those sessions. I had to bring up two water bottles. It was interesting. But 
I can do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, let me tell you a little bit how my memory works. Uh, if it's in the Bible, I remember it. If you've given me your name or phone number, uh, I'm going to forget it. It took me about six months to learn most of your names. Some of them I'm a little about still today. Because I don't remember names. I remember faces. I know that I have a relationship with you guys. I know who you are and who you belong to and how that all fits together. But for about six months of a new appointment, I don't remember people's names. If you give me your phone number, I am guaranteed not going to remember that. You give me anything in the Bible and I will remember it. I will remember any story that I read. And that is not me. That is the Holy Spirit's gifting to me because he knows what he wants me to do with with. Uh, my life. I trust in God that he knows what he wants me to do with my life, and that is to preach the word. And so he's empowered me to be able to do that. And I fully and utterly believe that with each one of you seated here today, there is an area that the Holy Spirit wants to empower you for the sake of the kingdom of God, not for your own lives. God didn't give me the gift of preaching so that I could become famous or that I could have a, a, a mega church somewhere or that I could uh, uh, make a lot of money through this. He gave me the gift of preaching so that I could preach. Now, that seems, seems really simple, I know. But for some of you, he's given you the ability in music so that you can play music in church and sing songs in church so that his name can be glorified and worshipped. Some of you are really good at accounting, numbers, money, stuff like that. As much as we don't want money in the church, money is a part of culture. We need people in the church who are good at counting money and who are transparent in counting money and who can do things the right way to glorify God, right? There are people who have a heart for talking to others. We need those people through the power of the Holy Spirit to become evangelists and to push forward the name of God because otherwise people aren't going to come into the church by themselves because they don't know we're here. Some of you are really good at cooking and at doing stuff in our, ki in our kitchen. I don't like singling her out, but Major Bev, like every event that we have, that's where she is because she is good at marshalling that kitchen. Holy Spirit, in your lives, just like Daniel, there's going to be an area where God is empowering you through his Holy Spirit to achieve something for the kingdom of God to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ you need to figure out what it is. And then like Daniel, you need to not be afraid when these situations come up. Telling the most powerful person in the world, literally the king of all of existence, that he's going to be brought low like a beast takes a lot of courage. And that courage is only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So what do you need to be strong about? Where do you need courage? I, I truly believe that the Holy Spirit... Like, like follow this... Just, just try and follow this logic with me if you can. God knows everything, yes? Therefore, when he created you, he knows you intimately. We know this from Scripture. Scripture says he knows every hair on your head. He knew you before the foundation of the world. Uh, he knows everything that there is about you, which means he knows your nature, your character, where your strengths and weaknesses are. Yes? Not only does he know them, he created them. Yes? Therefore, he knows where your passions lie. And so do you not think that the Holy Spirit is going to empower you to follow those passions for a positive uh, progress of the kingdom of heaven? 
Like, does that logic make sense? How come the logic breaks down there for some people? They're like, yes, I believe God knows everything. Yes, I believe God created me. Yes, he's given me passions and, 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 and things that I can do. Yes, but I am afraid to do that, so I'm just going to step back and not do it. Somewhere the logic breaks down. I don't know where you are in your walk with God, but I absolutely positively believe that each one of us can achieve something supernatural through the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So with that thought, we're going to, to close in prayer and then close in our benediction. But I want you, uh, as, as we close in prayer today, I just want you to think about that. Where has God given you passions and talents and how are you going to use that for the kingdom? Not be cowardly or afraid to use them, but where are you going to passionately and boldly move the kingdom of God forward and to advance the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ forward into the world that needs it? The world needs it. It is in a dark, dark place and it is getting darker by the day. You are the light of the world. Jesus said that. I didn't. He said, a city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor should you light a candle and put it under a basket. Instead, the light should be used to shine light through the entire house. In here, the metaphor is quite simple. Jesus has put the light of the Holy Spirit in your life so that you can illuminate a dark world that needs it. We're going to pray. Pray for that. Ask God where he wants you to illuminate the world. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for the ability that you've given us to come into your house and to worship you. Lord, I thank you that even when all of this technology fails and fades away, that we can still worship your glorious name above all other things. We pray that we can still learn more about you and your glorious name. Lord, as each one of us has our heads bowed here, I ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit comes into our lives and lights our fires anew with passion for serving you. That you illuminate in each one of us what you want us to do to drive the gospel of Jesus Christ forward in this world that desperately needs it. Lord, be with us like you were with Daniel. Let us be free from all cowardice and fear. And let us boldly proclaim your word to this world. We pray these things in your son's precious name. In the name of Jesus. Amen.